This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Man, Romans 8 is where we're going to be, and I hope you'll take a copy of God's Word. There's black Bibles there in the chairs next to you to turn to Romans chapter 8. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's my prayer that God will speak to you personally right off the pages of the sacred scriptures. And, um, and so that's been my prayer. I'm praying for you, trusting that the Spirit of God is going to speak to you. I'm curious if this happens at your house uh, like it happens at my house. The kids will say a word that I don't know what it means. Has this happened to anybody? Teenagers, do you use words that your parents look at you like, what, do you, what did you just say? I don't know what that means. Um, it happens often in my house, more often than I would care to admit. And, um, and so then I will try to understand what the word means. They'll explain it to me, and I'll say it, and I'll mispronounce it. And they'll be like, no, that's not. And then I'll try to use it, and they're like, no, 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 Dad, just don't even use that word. Does this happen to anybody else? Um, so recently this was happening, and then I came to the church office, and our student minister, Clay Knight, uh, how many of you met Clay? Um, if uh, this is what I want for Christmas from you, church, okay? You got an ink pen to write this down. Um, if you would call Clay Knight, our student minister, Bobby, if you would, if you can, we just practice that on the count of three. Say, Bobby, with me like that. One, two, three, Bobby. Okay, thank you. You just gave me my Christmas gift. So it's Clay in the there. He is. There he is in the back. Bobby. All right. Um, so I came to the I came to the church office. And I'm, like, sharing these new words that I learned from my kids. And Clay's like, oh, no, no, just like, you know, because Clay's 23. And so he's kind of, yeah, pastor, please don't use, just don't even use that word. So um, if, so I, I know that there's some dads here this morning that understand my dilemma here. Um, usually these new words that come around, they kind of go away as soon as they come around, you know, and, like, and then there's a new word, you know. It's like, well, what does that mean, you know? And, um, but back in 2015, the phrase, the word, the hyphenated word, mic drop, was officially adopted into the Oxford English Dictionary. So, so I'm serious. I'm totally serious. So, uh, so the word mic drop was actually like used in the 50s and the 60s some. So look at this graph and you'll see when the word mic drop grew in popularity. So James Brown, the great musician, used to use the word mic drop, and then um, uh, Barack Obama really popularized mic drop. And, um, but in 2010, if you jumped on social media, if people were like arguing on social media and somebody felt like they just like threw down like a, like a you, you've got no response to this argument, then somebody would like comment, mic drop, you know. So, so here's the physical, if you've ever seen this, um, those of you that uh, are my age and older, if you ever seen anybody do this, that's what, that's what mic drop is, okay? So literally, um, our tech team uh, graciously allows me to do this. So, so literally, here, here is what mic drop is. When someone has a performance or they say something that they feel like is superior and cannot be improved upon, mic drop. It's just like drop the mic, right? It's like, so like a rapper, he, he like shares his his brand new song, he's done, drops the mic. A politician gives this speech, and it's like, man, I just told him, drop the mic. That's what mic drop, that's what mic drop is. So in Romans chapter 8, 
It's this great chapter that we've been studying. We finish it today. The Apostle Paul has like the ultimate mic drop. It's like he's been writing this whole letter, and then he closes out chapter 8 with this like great spiritual mic drop. And I want you to see it with me as we read, picking up in verse 31. And I want you to see this superior cannot be improved upon. Like here's the, the final word. Here's like the authority. Nothing else can be said here. Look at this with me. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Let me just pause there. That's the way he opens up here in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? In other words, the Apostle Paul is actually saying, I've already dropped the mic. In chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and in, and in chapter 8, I opened up the chapter saying, there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And earlier in the chapter, I actually said, the Holy Spirit is so amazing, he lives inside of you, and when you're feeling the deepest pain from the deepest place, the Holy Spirit prays for you to the Father, perfect prayer. It's like, it's like the Apostle Paul's been dropping mics all through Romans. And so here in verse 31, he says, what then shall we say to these things? In other words, he's saying, like, I can't even improve on what I've already said. And yet... Because he so desires to comfort the church, he continues. Look at what he says. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge on God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mic drop. Would you join me in prayer? Father, would you speak to us? Through your sacred scriptures, personally, to every one of us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a good friend, and as he reads the Bible, he hears the warnings and the threats in scripture up on volume 9. And he hears the promises of scripture down on volume 2. Maybe you can relate to this. As you read through the Bible, you don't find yourself being uh, wonderfully assured of God's promises to you and his provision of love and salvation to you through Jesus. But when you read the Bible, you're, you're actually continually reminded of your own sin. As you read the Bible, you just have this, this as you read it, you just, you just have this sense of, gosh, like the Bible doesn't lift me up. The Bible like pushes me down. And, 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 and for my friend, he just had a disposition. Maybe you can relate. He just had this disposition toward reading the Bible and, and hearing the warnings and the threats of of hell and judgment really, really loudly and hearing the promises of love and grace really, really quietly. Here's a scale that might be helpful to explain what I'm showing you here. Um, so, so 
So some of us might find ourselves way over here where we cannot believe God loves us like my buddy William. And others of us might find ourselves over here where we're so familiar with God's love, we have such a small view of our own sin and such a small view of God's holiness that we just presume upon God's love. We we actually just assume that he's gracious to us. We're, We're casual and cavalier with our sin. And and what happens, now you'll see this, this is where most of us, we need to move toward the center with our eyes on the cross, and this this is where we can grow toward, look at this next slide, it's where we believe with conviction, deep conviction, that we're loved by God, and we're amazed deeply that we are loved. So it's not that we, it's not that we have trouble believing that we're loved by God, and it's not that we just assume that we're loved by God. But rather, with our eyes on the cross of Jesus, we believe with conviction we're loved and we are so amazed by the truth and reality that we're loved. And so it's my hope and prayer that the Spirit of God would would move you a little closer to to the middle this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it both confronts us and comforts us. And one of the things I love about Jesus is that Jesus always knew what was needed in the moment. You notice that? Like sometimes Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders and he is so confrontational with them about their sin. The reality is that some of you here this morning, you need to hear the spirit of Jesus speaking to you, confronting you about how cavalier you are with your sin. You need to feel sobered in your soul by the voice of God this morning. Others of you, you've got such a a sensitivity toward your own sin You're stunned by the holiness of God. That that what you need this morning is you need to be lifted up. You need to be comforted by the promises of the gospel. And the gospel does both. I I want you to see this in the text that we're looking at this morning. Verse 32, look at verse 32 with us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's intention in this, in this text, was to comfort suffering saints. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But here he's saying, look, as Peter describes, believers in Christ have an inheritance that's coming for them. Peter describes it as unfading, imperishable. There's an inheritance coming. In other words, followers of Jesus, one day will be glorified. We will receive all that belongs to God. We will rule and reign with him. We'll be his co co-leaders in in all of eternity and and it'll all be entrusted to us how do we know that that's going to happen it's because God took the most valuable thing to him his son and he gave it to us he gave us Jesus he can't improve on Jesus everything else is like less special than Jesus he's already given us the most valuable thing so all of it all of it is going to be Ours. And so Paul's intention here is to comfort the saints. Look at it with me again in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now Paul's aim in this text is to comfort, but even as he comforts, he confronts. What do I mean? Well, look at the phrase, he who did not spare his own son. God gave Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. Why did God not spare his own son? Listen, listen. God did not spare his own son because our sin, your sin and my sin, demanded judgment. So even as Paul is seeking to comfort the saints, he's confronting them by saying, 
Jesus' death was required for you to be forgiven. Jesus had to die to address your mess, your sin, your brokenness. But his point here is comfort. So the gospel both confronts us and comforts us. The gospel both humbles us and assures us. So, so the gospel says, look, you don't measure up, but Jesus measured up for you. So it humbles us, but then it lifts us up and assures us. Look at this next, uh, look at verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Why did he die? Well, he died because you sinned, because I sinned. That's humbling, isn't it? But look at the rest. Who is to condemn, verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. <laughs> what is the resurrection of Jesus? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's megaphone, volume 10, loud and clear announcement that Jesus' death was enough for you and me. So we're assured, we're confronted because our sin required the death of the Son of God, right? We're humbled because our sin required the death of the Son of God. But we're assured because he did die for us and he did rise from the dead. Do you see how the gospel both confronts us and comforts us? It both humbles us and assures us. The, the gospel breaks us and heals us. Isn't that amazing? This same message of the gospel that we're seeing woven all through this, it heals us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, Paul writes. He's addressing the church in their fear of, of suffering. He's addressing the church in the reality of suffering. And he's saying, look, and here's the reality, here's the big idea this morning. Suffering will come, but it cannot separate us from God's love. Suffering will come, but it cannot separate us from God's love. In verse 31, it's like, it's like the Apostle Paul saying, I already did a mic drop. <laughs> Look at verse 31 with me again. What then shall we say to these things? In other words, in other words, Paul's saying, I can't improve on what I've already said. But I'm so determined to comfort you that I'm going to explain it some more. And, and what does he do? If God is for us, who can be against us? He doesn't even answer this question. Like the answer is implicit in the question. This morning, some of you would say, I've got some people against me. That gal at work, she's against me. Like the, the whole people I work for, they're against me. They don't affirm my beliefs. They squash my beliefs. They, they think I'm a, I'm a bigot because what I believe about Jesus, about the Bible, they're, they're against me. Some of you just came out of Thanksgiving and you're like, I feel like my whole family's against me. They just look down their nose at me, and they, they don't approve of the pathway I've walked. They don't approve of the decisions that I'm making. I just feel like my whole family is against me. They don't get me. They're against me. We could, we could make a long list of the people that are against us, right? The devil himself is against us. He's an accuser in our ear, pointing to our sin and trying to say, this is who you are. This is who you are. This identifies you. He's, he's against us. But... But Paul doesn't even acknowledge the long list of those who are against us. He just asks one squashing question. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's like, here's your list of all the people that are against you. Mic drop, God is for you. What else do you need? If he's for you, who can be against you? Nobody. 
It, it's like all those voices that are against you. It's just like Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. Why? Because God is for you. The one who upholds it all, he's for you. He's with you. He's not uninterested in you. He has a heart of benevolence toward you. If God is for us, who can be against us? The, the Apostle Paul, he asked this one question in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? And then he asks five questions. Like, I'm a law and order junkie. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. You know, I just love old school law and order. And I love the courtroom scenes, those lawyers, you know, when they, when they kind of, they start building their argument and they don't give anybody, like, uh, like room to, like, rebuttal, you know. And it's like, I'll just use a silly, like, example, you know. And it's like, isn't it true, sir, that you were on a walk at 2 a.m. because you were stealing the Christmas lights on your neighbor? And isn't it true, sir, that you were out at 2 a.m. so that no one would see you? And isn't it true, sir, that you went when your neighbor was out of town so that you could easily stay? And isn't it true, sir, that you wore black so that nobody would see? And he's just like building those tight arguments, you know, like where nobody's like not giving anybody a chance to like say anything. That's what the Apostle Paul is, is doing here. Do you see that? Can you feel the force of his argument? It's like he's in a courtroom. And it's like you've got the devil accusing you over here. And, the, and, and, the, and it's like, like Paul's like saying, no, 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 no. And here we go. What does he say? Look at, look at it with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up, up, up for us all, how will he not give us graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one that died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's building this airtight argument that nobody can rebuttal. Some of us, we have the devil's voice turned up to volume 9. And we have the promises of God turned up to volume two. And what the Apostle Paul is seeking to do here is turn the, the devil's accusation in your ear down to volume zero and turn the promises of God up to volume 10 in your heart. He's seeking to comfort you, not just about our sin, but about suffering. And he, and, and he goes on to explain this. And you, you remember the umbrella from last week? Look at this. In, just in the few verses before 31, he, he, the, the Apostle Paul unpacks that we were predestined, we were called, we were justified, we were sanctified, we were glorified. So it's like he's already dropped the mic, like he's already dropped the salvation mic, right? Before time you were on God's heart, he called you by his spirit, he justified you when you placed your faith in him, he's sanctifying you now by his spirit, and he's coming again to glorify you. Mic drop, like salvation, we have a sure and strong hope. But then he begins to unpack all these, all these questions. I love verse 35. Look at it with me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This, this is really like he's kind of building toward this question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress some of you are like, I, you know, the, the, all the Christmas stuff, it's like I'm already stressed, right? Like, right, you know, like, well, yeah, good news, like the stress of Christmas cannot separate you from the love of Christ, right? Like all the distress of your work and all your job, and it may be, like, it may be, like, taking everything from you, but it will not separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. But then he, but then he gets really relevant, and look at what he says. It may not feel relevant to you and me, but I promise you it's relevant to Christians on the other side of the world today. He said, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? 
You see, right now today, people that are gathering for worship, they know and understand that if they're caught worshiping Jesus, they may lose their life. Monday at work or Monday at school, you may lose a friend if you're outspoken for Jesus. That's real persecution, but it's not as severe as potentially losing your life. So, so, <laughs> so as Paul is seeking to comfort Christians that are enduring suffering, what does he comfort them with? He does not comfort them with a promise that God will take away the persecution. He comforts them with the reality that nothing will take away God's love. Do you see it? He goes on, look at this. Shall, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? I think we just take for granted that we will always have food to eat. You know, there are Christians today that are worshiping Jesus that are hungry today. They don't have food to eat. We just, we just assume, we just assume. And if they only can look to food to find the goodness of God, they may not find the goodness of God. But if they look to the cross and see that God loves them in the midst of their hunger, God loves them and their hunger will be temporary, but their joy will be eternal. This is hard for us because we're not faced with, most of us are not faced with hunger on a daily basis. So we read, it's just so easy to blitz over this, and it, it's just like it's not relevant to me. But no, it's relevant to Christians. Of like, how can I believe that God loves me when I don't have food? No, most of us have never faced that dilemma. But there are, there are Christians today that are facing that dilemma every day. Every day. And so Paul wrote, and he said, persecution can't separate you from God's love. Famine can't separate you from God's love. And of course, those of us that live with such luxuries ought to be moved with generosity and compassion for those that are suffering around the world. Of course, we ought to be broken with compassion and meet needs where we can meet needs. But just see that, that the logic that Paul is writing with, the implication that he's writing with, is even in the midst of persecution and even in the midst of hungering, God's love is strong enough to sustain your hope. That's what he's writing. So he's writing to Christians that may be killed for worshiping Jesus and may not have food on the table, and he's saying the love of God is so powerful, it's so pure, it's so free, it's so strong, it's so good. David said it's better than life in Psalm 63, verse 3. The love of God is so good, and it will not, nothing will separate you from it. And, and the implication is, is, and it's enough. It's enough for you. So if you feel like the whole world is against you, God's love is enough for you. If you feel like nobody understands you, God's love is enough for you. If you feel like the stress cannot get any more, God's love is enough for you. And of course we don't take delight in the harsh, horrific realities of suffering. Of course we don't take delight in that. The intention is not to sweep it under the rug or to belittle it as something insignificant this morning. But it is to instill an unmovable, unshakable hope that nothing can separate us from God's love. That if you find yourself in a place where you're being persecuted or you're hungry, you don't have to doubt that God loves you. Is God angry with me? I don't have food today. Is, is he angry with me? No. Look at the cross. 
Look at the cross. He didn't spare his own son. He did not spare him so that you could be spared. He goes on. Famine or nakedness? We just put our clothes on today without a thought. But Jesus hung on the cross naked. And then God raised him from the dead. The dove from heaven at Jesus' baptism said, the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So nakedness on the cross could not separate the son of God from the love of the father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah nakedness or danger or sword and then in verse 36 Paul quotes Psalm 44 he says for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered so uh, Israel they weren't being punished for their lack of obedience to God rather they were experiencing great persecution described of were regarded sheep to be slaughtered because of the favor of God resting upon them. Other nations hated Israel because of God's special adopting love that he had set upon Israel. And so he said, we're being killed all the day long. All Nations everywhere, they hate us. We're like sheep to be slaughtered. Nations are coming against us everywhere. And Paul said, no. <laughs> In all these things, not even all those nations coming against you. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. One pastor once said, um, he said, conquerors would have been fine there, right? We are conquerors. That's pretty good, isn't it? We're triumphant. We're victorious. We're going to conquer this threat of taking our hope away. We're going to conquer that threat. But he says, no, we're more than conquerors. We're like super conquerors. That's what we have in Christ. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mic drop. This whole text, Paul's just saying suffering will come but it can't separate you from God's love it can't separate you from God's love um, we're, we're having our big Thanksgiving meal today with my side of the family I don't think anybody fell asleep in the sermon the turkey didn't kick in too too strong right all right <clears throat> and uh, my grandpa I've told you the story about my grandpa before he didn't want to think about heaven and hell he didn't want to be confronted with the gospel, that he was a sinner in need of a savior. So the majority of his life, he just pushed it away, just pushed it away. We'd talk to him, and he'd go to church. He just pushed it away, pushed it away, pushed it away. And then he got cancer, and he could no longer push away the reality that life is going to come to an end. Heaven and hell are real. God is real. Jesus is real. He had to deal with reality. And he turned to Jesus and trusted him as his Lord and Savior. And a week from the day he was baptized, he went to be with the Lord. Amazing. Amazing. Don't, don't stop praying for those that you love. Don't stop, it's, don't stop praying for those that you love. But my grandpa, he had a hearing aid because he couldn't hear. And my grandmother, she was so feisty. And she just, <laughs> just like, you know, energize her bunny. Just, anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't point to your wife right now, please. You know, my grandmother, right? You know, just, <laughs> um, and sometimes my grandpa, he just had enough. <laughs> he just had enough. And he totally turned that hearing aid off. And he couldn't hear her. Like, he knew she was talking because. 
<laughs> he just, he had enough. He just turned it off. He'd smile, nod, smile, nod, smile, nod, smile, nod. Listen, listen. Some of you this morning, you've got the voice of the accuser, the devil, in your ear turned up to volume nine. Have you had enough? You can, by the Spirit, turn that volume down to zero today. This bedrock of promise from God. The Apostle Paul is saying, no, let me tell you, if God is for you, who can be against you? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? How will he not give us, graciously give us all things in him, right? So you've got to turn the promises of God up to ten and let the let the Lord turn the, the voice of shame and the voice of sin and the voice of Satan, turn it down to zero today. Anybody need to just take the hearing aid out and just throw it away and just say, I'm done listening to that voice of, of shame. I'm, I'm done listening. Sometimes it's not the devil. Sometimes it's our own spirit condemning us. We just need to turn the volume down on that. So here's, uh, one, of, one of my kids was asking me last night about sermon prep. Don't you love when people take an interest in what you do? You know, they just want to know about what you do. They were asking me about what I do, and I began to describe, like, the, you know, the experience of sermon prep and how it's changed for me over the years and all, and all these things. And um, I said, sometimes I'm looking at a text, and I ask the question, um, what do I want the church to know, and what do I want the church to feel, and what do I want the church to do? So sometimes I'm asking that question. As I prepare a message for you, is what do I want you to know and what do I want you to feel and what do I want you to do? And this morning, I hope it was clear, what I wanted you to know is that suffering will come, but it can't separate you from God's love. I hope that everybody walks out those doors knowing this today, that suffering will come. And it may not be as severe as our brothers and sisters in a third world country. Or maybe God will send you there and it will be that severe. Or maybe, it'll be the, or maybe it'll be severe in your heart. The point is not comparing. The point is suffering will come, but it can't separate you from God's love. So I wanted you to know that. And then I wanted you to feel hope and reassurance. That's what I want you to feel this morning, church. Feel hope that springs forth from the promises of God. That nobody can be against you. You are royalty, sons and daughters of the king of kings. Nobody can be against you. I wanted you to feel that in your bones. What I want you to do. There's two things. And one, as you read, as you read through the rest of Romans, when you come to chapter 10, you see that Paul wants us to be missionaries. For some of us, he wants us to go across the sea as missionaries. And for others of us, he wants us to take on a missionary heart. Where we go across the street to our neighbor with a missionary heart. In, in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. In Romans chapter 10, he says, How will someone believe without someone preaching to them? And that's not me, that's us. That's announcing the good news of the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. It's announcing. In, in, other words, in other words, your friend and your neighbor and your coworker is not going to come into a relationship with God just because you pray for them. Your family members are not going to arrive in heaven one day just because you pray for them. They've got to hear and understand and believe the gospel. The gospel that confronts us and comforts us. 
that humbles us and reassures us, that breaks us and heals us, the good news of Jesus. We've got to hear it and understand it. So, so what do I want you to do? I want you to tell everybody every chance you get, every chance you get. That's, that's, that's Paul, he continues to build his logic, and he comes to Romans 10, and he says in verse 13, everyone who calls on, on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone, will, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he's sending us to the neighbors and to the nations. But here's what, so, so I want you to do that, but here's the one thing that I want you to do in addition. Discover what you need and secure the input. What do I mean by that? When we go back to that scale, would you throw that scale back up, that first scale? Some of you, you can't believe God loves you. So you need a friend who knows that about you and is willing to remind you of the promises of God. You're a saint. You're loved. You're the fragrance of Christ. You're an ambassador. You are his beloved. You're a daughter of God. You're, they just remind you that. You need a community group that knows you need to discover what you need and then secure that input so that your community group is always reminding you of the promises of God so that you turn the devil's lies volume down to zero and you turn the volume of the Lord's voice up to 10. You need people in your life that can do that. You need to find a promise in Scripture that you can memorize so that when the devil's voice or when your own sin, but you begin to feel shame for it, you can quote that verse in the devil's face or to your own self. So if you struggle to believe that God loves you, then find a great verse about God's love and hide it in your heart so that on those days where you're fighting to believe it, it's just bubbling up out in your mind and your heart and your soul. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. But God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. They're everywhere in Scripture. They're everywhere in Scripture. But some of you this morning, listen, some of you this morning, you're so presumptuous with God's grace. You barely give a thought to your sin. You just presume upon his love. You take it for granted. And you need to find people in your life that will confront you. Confront you with a call to repent. Confront you for the sin that you're allowing to just remain in your heart and in your life. Folks that will ask you hard questions and confront you with the gospel, that the gospel demands repentance. Yes, the gospel is that God loves you, but the gospel demands repentance. You need to let your community group know, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so casual and cavalier with God. I don't fear him like I ought. And maybe you, you begin to find a verse of scripture. Like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you memorize that. So that what's bubbling up in your heart is not God loves me and God's a teddy bear and he's going to love me. It doesn't matter what I do. And I just The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. One of the things I love most about Jesus is Jesus always knew what was needed in the moment. He would confront the religious leaders with harsh rebuke and he would be so gentle and tender and reassuring with those that were broken for their sin in his presence. See it? So discover what you need most. Do you need comfort from the gospel or do you need to be confronted by the gospel? And secure that input.
Find a book that's going to reassure you of God's love and grace or find a book on the holiness of God, depending upon what you need. Do you see it, church? You see it? Some of you are like, I'm a pinball. I'm just like, one day I'm over here, and one day I'm over here, and one day I'm over here, and one day I'm over here. Hey, listen, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's, he's sanctifying you. He's molding you into the image of Jesus. And you may be way over here one day, and you may be way over here one day, but if you fix your eyes upon the cross, one day you'll find yourself right in the center where you believe the gospel with conviction, and you're amazed that he loves you. That's, that's the goal. Church, I love you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we're amazed. We just lack words to exalt you, Jesus. So we pray that our hearts would be pleasing to you today. Lord, be honored in this place, we pray. Be be exalted in this place as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing out. If you want to pray, the prayer team's back there. You feel free to come kneel at the altar. As we sing, let's respond to him. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.